Welcome to the Maritime Vision Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Wioli. In each episode, we bring you exclusive interviews with maritime professionals, industry experts, and students. Our guests come from different backgrounds, including shipping, yachting, offshore, supply chain, and more. Our goal is to give you all the knowledge you need to succeed in the maritime industry. Hello everyone, welcome back to a new podcast episode. And today we are with Athanasios. Uh, so Athanasios is an offshore structural engineer. So it's a quite an uncommon position uh, in the industry, but it's quite uh, crucial. Uh, so it's a pleasure to, to having you, Athanasios. Uh, I think today you're going to provide us a lot of insights about your, your role uh, as an engineer. So firstly, can you introduce yourself, please? Yeah, sure. Um, before I start, I would like also to thank you as well for inviting me here. It's a nice opportunity. It's really nice to discuss about our jobs and the, the things that we love. Um, I'm Athanasios Drutsas and I come from Greece. I was born and raised in Athens. And when I was 18, I decided to go to a different city to study. Still in Greece, but 700 kilometers to the north. <laughs> and yeah, it was, it was quite some, some different experience. I studied there civil engineering, but my socialization was again in structural engineering. And maybe you know, in Greece, it's still compulsory to join the army. So I joined the yeah. army, and then I ended up in the Netherlands doing my master's. So I live in the Netherlands since 2015, in August. It's been almost oh, eight and a half years. It's quite some time now. I'm working as a structural engineer since 2016, basically, when I started with my internships in my previous company. But we're going to get to know all these small details later. So, yeah, normally I'm living in Rotterdam, nice area, really glad with it. But currently I'm located for in, in Abu Dhabi, so we have a call right now with the Emirates. And yeah, I'm here on assignment for my company where I'm going to stay till July on what we call a rotation. So okay. I'm going to be here six weeks, then I'm going to be back for four weeks, and then again back in Abu Dhabi for six weeks. So this is how it works for now. Okay, interesting. Uh, first of all, why did you choose to work uh, in this offshore industry? So it comes a little bit from my studies. I studied civil engineering, and then I didn't want to do exactly the same for my master's. I had uh, quite some options back then. And I chose the Offshore and Dredging Engineering Master Program in TU Delft. So my idea back then, it was to basically take a bigger spectrum of knowledge within structural engineering to see what is happening not only on land, but also offshore. And then I got into this, you know, kind of magnificent world of offshore. Yeah, the industry is really different than the one in uh, civil engineering, let's say commercial buildings or bridges, or it's a totally different type of engineering. So this is uh, my introduction, let's say, to this world. But uh, I spent one year in Delft for my studies, and I finished with the courses, and on my second year, I decided to go with internship and to do my thesis in a company. I did it in Dam and Naval. Yeah. Don't know, you, don't know if you are yeah. familiar. Yes, sure. It's uh, one of the biggest shipyards in the Netherlands. Yeah. Correct, correct. It's the biggest one, basically. Yeah, and they have different divisions, and I was in Damen Naval in Vlissingen, kind of small city in the south. I know, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, this is how it started. I was doing structural engineering within, uh, for, the, for, let's say, the shipbuilding industry. So there we, are, we were designing vessels, and, but it's not that far away from the rest of the offshore world. And then I came in 2022 in my current company, which is called Boscalis. And there, here we do, yeah, it's, it's a very big company, but in a few words, it has three divisions, dredging, offshore energy, and salvage and towards. And I'm doing work for offshore energy, okay. which can be from installation of oil platforms till uh, heavy lifting for wind turbines, subsea cables, uh, you name it, basically everything that is related to offshore energy. We are having a division and a team that is doing something about it. Okay. Can so you... my studies oh, yeah. were the main reason. So sorry to, inter mm. to interrupt no, you. No, I no, just wanted you to just make a very short uh, introduction of each uh, segment. You, you said dredging, offshore energy, and yeah. I, I forgot the, the third one. The third one was salvage and towards. Okay. What else? Uh, I will start with the third one, indeed, because yeah. it's the coolest <laughs> one. 
Do you remember that a vessel was kind of stuck in the Suez Canal, a container vessel? And yes. Yeah, everything was blocked. The company that basically took it took the vessel out, it is the Smith. It's called Smith. Okay. And it's part of Boscalis. So you can you can see Boscalis as a big umbrella, and Salvage is basically the um, how can we put it? This industry is the industry that goes and saves ships in distress. So it okay. could be a vessel that sunk, and then you want to take it out. It could be a vessel that is stuck, for example. Okay. Another very famous project that we had last year. It was an FPSO called Safer outside Yemen. And this one was staying in the sea for like 40 years, no maintenance. And there was a big risk that the oil can flow into the sea. That was a huge environmental risk. So these guys went on the vessel, on the FPSO, took with pumps all the oil outside, and then they towed it in safe harbor, basically in safe waters. So they, they are doing very big projects. Not everything goes into the light of publicity because some of them are kind of confidential. But this is what they do. They, yeah, they basically save the day in case it's not. Yeah. Okay. So Vessels so or could be offshore structures that collapse or everything. Yeah, they go and they take them out. And okay. towards is, you know, like uh, attacked. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Getting something out. Pushing something or pulling. Um, and then we have the dredging. Dredging, which is the traditional, the core of Boscalis, is about um, taking basically a little bit of sand and then making an artificial island. Yeah. So you take the sand and you put it there. That's the idea. But it's not that simple because you can go also, for example, in a port and make it deeper. So you can have bigger vessels to, that can, can berth. Or, for example, you can go to a canal and then make it wider so larger vessels can pass through. Generally, they are doing a lot of yeah, land-related work. So they take... And they take some soil from one place and they put it some, somewhere else, to put it very simply. Could be sand, could be... Uh, they do also a lot of infrastructure work on land, not only offshore. So it's a, it's a very big division. So for us, you can think of it like 45-50% of the revenue comes from there and the other 45-50% comes from the offshore energy. Mm-hmm. And some small amounts come from salvage and towards. Okay. Because the interesting part, and I left it for the last, is the offshore energy. We have seven business um, units within there. Heavy marine transportation is one, the one that I'm working mostly, where you transport something very heavy, then you have Mm. offshore heavy lifting, uh, subsea cables, marine services, as we call it, survey. um, What else you have? Subsea services as well, and seabed intervention. So we can go in depth for them, but yeah, if you have any questions, let me know. Okay. Mm. So it's very interesting. Uh, Thank you for to provide us Mm. this uh, quite insight about those three. So of course, we will be more focused today about offshore energy because it is where you are working. Um, First of all, can you tell us a little bit what is a structural in offshore structural engineer? Yeah. Um, Let's start it with, um, I, I can imagine that, you know, not everyone is fully into engineering. So let's get a little bit on a higher level. Let's assume that you want to transport a platform that is that weighs like 20,000 tons. Yeah. Somebody has to calculate if the vessel on top of which you put the platform is going to break in two. Okay. Somebody has to calculate how you are going to keep the cargo in place when you are uh, in transit. So if you have a little bit of high seas, let's say, and then the vessel starts moving, you don't want your cargo to fall overboard. So somebody has to calculate the structure that is going to keep it in place. So what we do in general, structural engineers, for these operations, we try to ensure that all the structure stays in place and it can withstand all the operational loads. So that is the, the core of it. Okay, interesting. So I imagine, um, how, how are you working with this? I mean, it's, for example, uh, you have a mission, uh, I can say uh, offshore, uh, you need to bring some uh, windmill in, into the sea and mm-hmm. you need to calculate if how many windmill you can put into the, into, into the ships uh, about the resistance, everything. Is that correct? Yeah, the, we, we are collaborating also with, uh, with the people that are calculating how many you can fit in because okay. for this one goes mostly with our draftsmen within our company. But what we do as structurals, when you take 
a big monopile, which is the foundation for a windmill, for example, and then you put it on your vessel, you cannot just place it on the vessel, all your no. main deck. We create some structures which are called grillages. So you place it there, something to keep it in place. Yeah. So this, let's say, semicircle that, that where the monopile is on top of it, it has, yeah, it, it's a big structure. It has thick plates, and we have to calculate if it's, let's say, 30 millimeter plate, 20 millimeter plate, 50 millimeter plate. We have to see if this if this construction is gonna buckle because when you put a lot of compression, yeah, it can buckle, for example. Yeah. Even if that's not the case for grillages, but I'm just for the yeah. sake of the argument, what we calculate. Then you have to see also if your vessel can withstand the loads mm. because you can make something very strong above your deck but if your vessel is not strong enough it's going to go through the, through your deck let's say or you're going to yeah. see very big deformations so yeah this is what we what we calculate think of it mostly in terms of forces and and resistance another simple way to think of it is like you have a civil engineer for the buildings and they calculate the thickness of your plates, mm. the, the, the width of your columns, the size of your columns, the size of your beams. This is what we do as well, but the construction that for the structures that are related to our operations, we calculate how thick they're going to be, how strong they're going to be. Okay, so it's a, it's a, it's the, I mean, it depends on the mission. So depending what kind of mission the Boscaris, for example, will will do, they call you and they say, okay, now you need to, we we need to work on this. Uh, on this specification, it will be this vessel, uh, and you need to start making the calculation. Uh, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, you're you're very close to it. Um, the issue is that we have a very broad range of different operations. So, let's assume that somebody comes from the sales department and they say, "Okay, we have to transport, as you said, monopiles, for example." Let's yeah. start with that. Then we figure out which vessel we're going to use because you need different types of logistics to see, you know, which vessel goes here and there. It's like chess and you have your pawns and then you place them according to the schedule. It's, we have people that are actually doing this job, okay. uh, figuring out how the vessels are moving and, you know, which vessel is busy with what. And then they come to us and our first step is to see, as you said, the mission. So what is the project, what we want to achieve, the scope of our works. And then we say, okay, this is what we want to achieve. Then we start with the creative part of our work because our work has many different parts. And the creative part is that you start imagining a structure, how I'm going to do it. Mm. Because there are, let's say, so many solutions that you cannot name, let's say. Yeah. If you ask 10 different engineers, they're going to take 10 different answers. And of course, we don't reinvent the wheel. We have previous projects we can be based upon. But still, there's a lot of room of, of improvisation because every project is slightly different. What we say here often is same, same, but different. Because they come to you and they say, you know, this is same, same, but end up, ends up being, slight, being yeah. significantly different. So, yeah, this is how it goes. Somebody comes and then we start thinking in a team or on your own. Then you make a concept design and then you start with your calculations on a, on a later stage. Okay. So, I imagine hmm. it's a custom uh, I mean, every time it's different. You cannot use the same. You, you, you told us about the specific name of it, the, this part, custom part. Grillet. Yeah, the grillet. Grillet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's custom every time. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that is what is uh, interesting because, for example, you can imagine that if you want to put a monopile, monopile is a big cylinder that you put on your seabed, you take a hammer, you hammer it down, and on top of it, you place your tower for your wind turbine. Okay, you place first the TP and transition piece, then your tower, and then on top you have the nacelle with your wind turbine and the, and the blades. So the monopile is a very big thing. We are talking about, could be 2,000 tons, mm. 3,000 tons, just to give you an idea. We are talking about Sorry. really, really big, big amounts. Now, if another project comes and then you still have to transport monopile, but they have different diameter, you need new grillages. <laughs> But then you could claim, okay, they are the same diameter. But yeah, they are longer. So they are heavier. So you have to make stronger grillages than the previous project. Mm. Yeah. And there could be so many different things. It even depends on the vessel that you put. Because different vessels have different behavior in the sea. 
And if you have high accelerations on the vessel while it's moving, this is something that we have to take into account, of course. Okay. Because it's different to put a monopile in onshore where everything is steady and different to take to the sea where things are moving. So, okay. yeah, you, there are so many parameters that you have to take. So we end up basically, to give you the final answer, we end up basically 99% to that we're making custom made for the project. Okay, very interesting. Yeah. And sometimes can, can you reuse... Uh, yeah, here and there sometimes, but not that often. Okay, quite interesting, by the way. Um, yeah. I want to ask you something more about to go more technical, so I take okay, a sure. now <laughs> um, about the calculation on all the physics because you need to, uh, to mm -hmm. know the resistance of uh, materials. If, mm -hmm. In English, it works. Um, how do you, what kind of calculation you need to make? What it is this very technical, I can say, geeky part of your job? Yeah, we can, can go definitely for that. We can talk hours for that. We really yeah, like it. <laughs> so, yeah. So what we do, let's, let's think of it, okay? Let's, let's think a very simple example. If you have just a rod, a circular profile, it's just yeah. a simple rod. If you grab it and you start pulling it, then you can say that the stress, as we call it inside this rod, is equal to the force that you put divided by the area. Mm. So we calculate this value and then we compare it with how much this rod can withstand. Okay. So normally we have something which is called the yield. So that is the part that the, your, your structure is not behaving linearly anymore going to the non-linear part, but that's, uh, we have to get into real technical parts. And then we say, okay, it goes to yield approximately at this value. Then the yield is given as a stress. Then we make it as a force. And then we say, okay, it can withstand 200 kilonewtons, which is a measurement of force um, based on its diameter. Then we say, okay, we are going to apply 100. So we have also certain safety. This is what we call the allowables because you don't want to go up to the exact limit of your, of your yeah. strength. We want a little bit of safety. I mean, for us, one of the problems that we have is one mistake is one mistake too much. So, so yeah, we, have many, yeah, we have mm. many safety, safety factors, let's say, in between. We have safety mm. factors on the loads. We have safety factors on the, on the strength of the material. We have safety factors also on the... Um, uh, on top of these two, we make, the, we make it even stronger. So this is a very, very simple example that I was giving when you have some structure in tension. But yeah, if you have things in compression, they don't behave exactly the same way. Because mm. as you know, if you take the same rod, instead of pulling it, you start pushing it, depending on its diameter and its length, that's the base, basic, and at the end constraints, then it can buckle. Yeah. And if it buckles, then what we say, it loses its stiffness. So it stops doing its job. Okay. So you could start seeing very high deformations. You can end up even in collapse. Okay. So we check also for buckling our structures. Then we want to check also the welding of the structure. Mm. Because you weld uh, individual items within, with each other. And then you weld stuff on your main deck. You have to be sure that these are strong enough. Otherwise, you have a big load and you see the whole structure being deattached from your deck and then fly away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, then we have to calculate stuff sometimes, not that often, against fatigue. Yeah, fatigue. Fatigue is a big issue of uh, the steel structures and it's a very complicated one regarding the academics behind, let's say, the formulas. And that's why a lot of research is still being done for, for fatigue. Mm. And um, yeah, these are the big, the big parts that we are doing. Mostly we do strength calculations that the stresses inside the bodies are uh, lower than what we, can, what we assume as safe stresses. What, yeah. About a certain safety threshold that we have. We calculate uh, deformations. So we don't want things to deform a lot. Because even if the stresses are not big, if the deformations are really big, you can have operational issues. So you can have deformations and then something doesn't fit anymore in between. So you have a profile which is like a U. You want to put something inside, but then with the deformation it closes, it oh, cannot yeah. fit. Yeah. Stress-wise, it's okay, but yeah, you have to think about it. Interesting. And then we calculate buckling, welding, um, fatigue. And then you could have also more elaborate analysis, like non-linear analysis, mm. where things are becoming... 
more difficult in terms of the formulas and the equations behind and the understanding of the physics. Okay, very interesting. To, to come mm. back with fatigue, for example, because I know yeah. the many accidents we have in this industry is due to fatigue. For example, this uh, submarine like Titan, uh, uh, it was, yeah. I think it was due to fatigue. We have a lot of tankers who break into two piece, pieces yeah. because of it as well. Uh, you said it's quite complicated to uh, anticipate it. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, you can elaborate on it. Oh, yeah, I can elaborate a bit more. So um, different materials behave differently. So, for example, fatigue on steel is totally different than fatigue on composites, which, for example, for composites, even more, let's say, of a, of a black box. Yeah. Still, we have a good, uh, we have an idea, but we don't have, we don't know exactly what is happening. So, for for our listeners, what is fatigue? The easiest way to think about it is to take one paperclip. You raise the paperclip, and then you push it in one side. That puts some stress in the paperclip. Yeah. But it doesn't break. But if you do it 500 times, it breaks. Yeah. Basically less than 500, but you get my argument. If you do yeah, it many yeah. times. <laughs> so so this, this process is called fatigue. And then it starts basically with a micro crack on the surface. And then mm. it propagates through the thickness of your element. Okay. So this is what happens for fatigue. The problem with this is not that you cannot predict it exactly. It's that, that they have so many important parameters which are difficult at the design phase to exactly calculate them. Okay. So what we do, for example, my previous job, on, it was on military vessels. So we're building mostly yeah, dam and naval, those naval vessels. And these vessels are also prone to fatigue because they have to be light in order to go fast. Mm -mm. And they don't have the option of avoiding bad weather because if you have to go now, you go now, whatever weather you have in between. So they are exposed to high stresses, which makes the fatigue even worse. So they are, they are really prone to fatigue and then you have to calculate them properly and be sure about it. So you have to know basically to, to, calculate, to, to make a good assumption about where your vessel is going to sail for a long time. Because you have to know, as I'm gonna sail, you're not gonna sail every day at eight meters significant wave height. Let's say, okay, I start also a very big value. Let's say five meters significant wave height every day for the next 20 to 25 years. You know, it's something in between. Um, a little bit you're gonna be at shelter waters, and a little bit you're gonna be uh, at, at port. You know, you have to calculate that yeah. and make a good assumption. Then you have to know very good how, what that means for your vessel, how much stresses you're going to have. And on top of that, you have to know very good how your connections are made because prone is really, uh, fatigue is really prone to the local detail. It's a local phenomenon. It's not a global phenomenon. Yeah. It can start as a local and then propagate and then look as global, but it's not global. It starts locally. And the local part is very much dependent from, let's say, even on the welder's ability to weld properly. Okay. Even how you treat your weld after your um, after welding, uh, post-welding treatments that you could do to improve the fatigue life, basically. So okay. there, there, are, there are many things that uh, you could do. It's just that it, it's, let's say, a multi-factor problem. It takes so many things into account. And that's okay. why we have structural engineers which are basically fully specialized on fatigue. And they do that because it's so different that even if you can have a structural engineer and a structural engineer and do totally different things. Okay, interesting. Yeah. We will come back about uh, collaboration yeah, between. But I have, you know, I know it's a lot of things now uh, about yeah. uh, the corrosion. Corrosion is yeah. part of fatigue as well. Not exactly. There are two different yeah. phenomena. Okay. okay. So both create problems to your structure. Yes. And for example, corrosion with fatigue on steel is among, it's a very good topic for research. So if yeah. you have students within your team, yeah, it's, it's a very hot topic. It's, uh, the interaction is kind of nasty because you get between chemical engineering, because it has mm. to do with chemistry, the fact that we have yes. corrosion. On top of that, you have also uh, the fatigue, which is a mechanical problem, it's a structural problem. Okay. And keep, in, and keep in mind that we design our vessels and our construction, let's say offshore, also for fatigue when we sorry, also for corrosion when we have uh, we have them permanent structures. You remember earlier we we're discussing about grillages. We're going to use it only once. 
we don't yeah. take any corrosion into account, but if we put a structure which is going to stay permanently, based on what it has around it, if you are if you have salt water, you're going to take bigger corrosion addition margin. Mm. So if I make a calculation that I say I need 10 millimeters of a plate, but I have sea, sea water from one side, I'm going to put at the end 11, 12 millimeters. So even if I lose one or two from corrosion in the next 25 years, 20-25 years, basically you lose around one millimeter for 25 years, just to give you an idea, only yeah. from one side, um, then I will... I will make it 11, so even if I lose one, I, I'm still strong enough. Okay. Taking a marge. Okay. Yeah, taking a marge, extra marge. Okay, and then about, what about the temperature? This is something you cannot predict. Yeah, you could. Okay, that was part. Um, we still indeed can start elongate and, and mm. contract with it, and it could have some operational uh, effects. I cannot share so much because, as you can imagine, the things that we were doing in the previous job was a little bit more, uh, you know, yeah. not not everything can be shared so publicly. But the idea is, let's put it like this. That's the best way to put it. I'm working till 2017, uh, 16, sorry, as a structural. I've never taken thermal stresses okay. uh, into account at one of my calculations. I, I had them in my university years. I'm still studying, by the way, quite some time. So I'm still doing... Uh, I had them recently again, what means to have thermal stresses in your structure, but we don't use it. We don't... It's, it's, it has to be very specific application within the offshore industry to take into account. Okay. It could be, but I haven't seen it. Okay. Well, it's, it's good to mention it, actually. Yeah, um, yeah. So you, you worked uh, on different kind of materials, like steel. Uh, is it mm -hmm. the most common one? I imagine this is steel. Yeah, 99% uh, within our industry, especially the offshore energy, is steel. Okay. Now, you could have aluminum when you want to reduce your weight, because aluminum has basically that's the big advantage. Mm. And in, for my thesis, I worked also with composite materials. Which is also a totally different. Uh, it's different philosophy, totally. But steel and aluminum, at least as a philosophy, they are the same. They have dif definitely different material properties, but you have many commonalities in terms of the behavior. And yeah, steel is the 95%, let's say, and then a little bit of aluminum, sometimes composites, but that's very very rare. Okay. Quite interesting. Yeah. And now I want to ask you more about it because I imagine, because to know all this resistance of materials, you need mm -hmm. some data, you need to yeah. use some software. Can you yep. elaborate about it? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now, um, the good thing with the material data for steel is that it doesn't require so much input. Okay. Uh, it's it's kind of, yeah, kind of, um, how can I say, weird, let's say can be surprised, but basically the only thing that you need is a young modulus, mm. a Poisson ratio, and then you need the material yield, which depends on the grade of your steel. Okay. So you get it, let's say, more or less from your supplier. These are the things that we mostly care, especially for our linear analysis. When you don't run uh, non-linear, these are the things that we 99% use. So these are readily available and you don't have to do so much research about it. But indeed, we use a lot of programs, but we use the programs to analyze our structure. Mm. So when we started, we said that we basically, as a structural engineers, we want to see if a structure can withstand certain loads. So what do we do? We take some software programs like ANSYS, which is very famous, FIMAP, Nastran, SACS. Uh, okay. These are the big ones that are within the within the industry. And what you do there, you see your structure, you make an idealized model. So you find your vessel and it has a main deck. Then you put a plate there. And mm -hmm. below that there is a beam, a stiffener as we call it. Then you model it as a beam element or as a plate element. It depends on what mm -hmm. you want to achieve. So basically we make an idealized model of our structure within the program. We put the forces that we have, and then we click a button to analyze the structure. Okay. This is what we do when we say we run FEM analysis, finite element model analysis. Okay. 
So we make an idealized model of your structure. But for our jobs, we, we use a lot of hand calculations as well. So you could see within this software that we have, can have some Excel files, which are, you know, for the quick and dirty uh, calculations. And all this, the more quick and dirty that you go, the more conservative you become. So it is full, it, it is safe. At the same time, it could be that sometimes you can over-design a few things here and there. But at least within offshore energy, you the governing parameter is not the weight of the material. Okay. So you don't mind if you put a little bit more and do it in the in a fast, but always a safe way. Always safe. That's You don't take any discounts there. Okay. Quite interesting. Mm. Yeah. I think that's very important because you spend all your days in front of your computer working on this software. So yeah. I, I thought it was important to mention it. Um, okay. So I think in terms of technicality, we are quite good now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are... I mean, it, it can get really, really technical, but I can imagine that within a, within a podcast, it's, it's really difficult yeah. to go so you much in depth. Pictures, etc. So that's yeah, the, some pictures. Yeah. So that's why we don't want to go, for example, about normal stresses, bending stresses, von Mises stresses, and uh, the differences between them. How the shear stresses affect all this? Mm. Uh, you know, there, there are so many in between the, the tiny letters, and yeah, sure. it depends also on the person. For me, I was always wanting to have uh, an academic background behind. That's why I'm still studying. I feel that there is a you know, just starting is not enough. After one point, you have to keep up with a, with a knowledge, either not to forget it or to learn new things. And yeah, and you can get a really, really technical with that, with these parts. But the idea mm. here is you know, to have also a fun discussion and not make people scared about yeah, what sure. we're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, of course, at least we, we give an overview of what is it your job because mm. I think it's quite unique what you say. I'm, uh, I don't think I can find this information easily uh, on YouTube or other. other. So, uh, again, thank you for that. Mm -hmm. um, now we are going to talk more about the skills and qualities, abilities you need for people who want to be uh, like you, a structural engineer. Yeah, sure. So, um, let, uh, let me understand the, correct, the question correctly. Do you mean what kind of skills you need to be? Yeah, a structural exactly. Engineer. Okay, you need in order to be a structural engineer. Um, the first and foremost that comes to my mind is analytical. Mm. So you have to be able to understand the structure, to visualize the problem, to have the gut feeling of how it's going to behave, and then be able to put this into numbers. We can have all sorts of discussions about how things are going to behave and what is good and then how the high-level qualitative mm. part. But at the end of the day, always you need some numbers behind to back up your your claim. So it's, a lot of times it's better to do a, a high-level analysis where you say this is the strength of this structure against this and this type of loading rather than to say, okay, this is strong enough qualitatively. Yeah. You always need the analytical part. Another part that you that you need mostly on the soft skills is the communication. Okay. It's absolutely necessary within our job function, even if that comes also as a surprise as well, that you have to be able to communicate with people properly, clearly, and on time. And why I'm saying that, normally discipline engineers, we are, you know, living in our small world. You are on the, on the side corner, your small office, and then you do your calculations, you give them, and this is what most people think, even within the industry. But if you think about it, everything that you touch in, your, in, the, in the operations, everything that you want to change to move something or to change something, it has some effect on the construction. So you have okay. to be able to communicate what it means when people are making these kind of changes, to communicate how much time it's going to take for you, to find the correct balance between quality and speed, because as we were saying, the quick and dirty, it's you can do it yeah. to finish fast, but you go a little bit more conservative, but you don't want always quick and dirty. Sometimes you want to optimize your structure, so you spend mm. a lot of time making design iterations and then figuring out exactly what is happening. All this, except from the academic level, require also the communication. So except from, except from the good academic level, require communication. So if I had somebody in my team who is very good academically but cannot communicate, 
I'm not sure that I would choose him from somebody who knows, of course, the basics and he's not dangerous, let's say, to make big yeah. commissions, but can properly communicate. Okay. That's significant for our job because you have always to very clearly state what is your assumptions, what you calculated for, what is going to be used for. And that is, okay. uh, so you have to have also some social skills on that perspective. Um, and I could say also being able to handle stress as well. Mm. Yeah, there's a big responsibility with I, uh, that comes with the job. You, you cannot have collapses. You cannot have big failures because best case scenario, that means a huge loss for the company. Worst case scenario, yeah, we're talking about human lives. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it comes with a certain stress from the responsibility. But these are on the negative part, let's say. There are a lot of things on the positive part as well within the job. So one mm -hmm. of the, it's not exactly skills, but it's a way of thinking. I have seen many structural engineers who are uh, not so eager, let's say, so enthusiastic about their jobs. And most of the cases, what they had as a common denominator, it was the lack of um, fulfillment when you see your structure mm -hmm. being built when you see it okay. in operation. So something that I would highly suggest to, to have if you want to become a structural engineer is to feel, let's say, pride, to feel okay. uh, fulfillment, not pride. A good one, yeah. Pride yeah. is not a good question, it's a good word. Fulfillment, when you, when you see your structure, because this is literally the driving parameter behind our work. Okay, that's a good one, yeah, okay. Uh, I can imagine when you spend so many time to, to build this project and you, you can see in, in real life, oh, that's my, my work. I yep. think the fulfillment is quite important. Yeah. And we are talking about huge structures as well. Just to give you yeah. an idea, last year we, we transported a, a structure. It was like 30,000 tons. It's like three times the Eiffel Tower in terms of weight. <laughs> can yeah. you imagine? So yeah. it's, it's three times. So we're talking about very, very high loads. Yeah, you, you, we are talking about uh, taking the science and make it uh, the max limit using the limits of the physics. Yeah, that's we, why it's getting. Yeah, generally we are pushing always in the safe way, uh, yeah. but we, we are we are generally pushing every time that we you know you try to push and then we do it step by step within this industry. But mm. right now you have humongous structures. Yeah, you have crazy big structures for now yeah yeah i've seen that uh, especially in, yeah, in the Netherlands mm. i've seen so this uh, heavy lift vessel it's quite impressive to see first of all yeah, yeah. yeah. our heavy lift vessels for example uh, can can lift up to 4,000 tons and uh, 3,000 tons the two big ones that we have so it's, it's we're talking about yeah yeah and big, most of them are semi-submersible so it's quite impressive when you see them uh, <laughs> under yeah um, uh, basically the same submersible is slightly different these are the um, htvs the heavy transport vehicles that you are mentioning oh yeah okay so these are the semi-submersible, but you are semi-correct because one of the two vessels used to be a HTV, uh, yeah, an HTV heavy transport vessel, which was semi-submersible, and we converted it to okay. um, offshore heavy lifting vessel, which was basically Bocalift 1. That's the name of the vessel. Okay. We have okay, many conversions also on the heavy lift vessels. Okay. Quite interesting, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's uh, plainly an offshore, uh, offshore fleet. Yeah. It's, uh, wow, it's, you have different type of vessel. It's not like dry bulk. You have, you have the Panamax, oh, yeah. you have the cap size. Uh, we don't have so many names, and it's not classified so specifically. So that's why. Yeah, and I can imagine, especially for your world on shipping, you need to have all these classifications because, uh, yeah, it, it plays a big role for us. Yeah. They are so special as a structure. For example, in Europe, they're discussing about making so many. Uh, offshore wind farms, but one of the biggest problems that we have is that we don't have enough vessels to mm. install them. So even if you find the money, even if you find the yards that can produce all these structures, maybe you don't have enough vessels to put them. So um, that's a, it's it's a very it's, a, it's still a small market, and yeah, it's not that easy to get in as well. So yeah. Interesting. But on, first of all, yeah. And secondly, your industry is quite customs. I mean, it's not yeah. like uh, the shipping with like liner shipping. It's always the same. You, yeah. you built everything regarding the project itself. So that's why. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Let's talk about the collaboration because you cannot work alone. I imagine you need yeah. to collaborate with your colleague. What kind of position they have? 
Can you elaborate, please, on it? Oh, sure, definitely. Um, indeed, this kind of projects required between tens and you can go up to hundreds of people to, yeah, to implement this kind of operations. So we'll stay a little bit at my world, the world of heavy marine transportation, because this is mostly the project I'm doing. We are, we are a little bit less, let's say, a few dozens, let's say, of people. So you have to see the project from the start when it's still at the sales. We have a tender phase. We still a little bit of engineering, like a concept engineering is being done at that phase. And then later we get a contract. So let's say on your everyday life, you have different discipline engineers who are doing their individual tasks and they're being coordinated by a project engineer. So the project engineer, you could think as the person that runs the project. He has an idea. He comes into uh, communication all the time with the client. He has an idea about which documents have to be delivered and a good idea about all the disciplines. So he knows that in order to have this operation, we need to do this and this and this analysis. And he gives it to us. And they say, for example, from structural engineers, I want somebody to calculate this structure and I want it ready by this date. He does the same with the marine engineers. He does the same with the draftsmen. He does the same with the transportation engineers. So he gathers all the data. Uh, he gathers the reports. We have a big reviewing process as well. So he reviews our work and within the same disciplinary, we review each other's work. So if I produce something, somebody else is going to review it. If somebody else produces something, I'm reviewing it. Mm in order to, uh, to be sure that we have a certain quality. So for us, within the discipline engineer, we mostly communicate with the project engineer, and this is our voice to the outside world, let's say. But we have regular meetings where we sit down all together, weekly by weekly, depending on the, on the project. If it's really busy, we have it every week. If it's not that busy in this period, we have it every two weeks, where we sit all together, all the teams, and we discuss about the process of the project. So we say we have this issue there, this issue there, and you know how we're going to solve it. So I get to know the whole team on what are they working on, and if I have any questions, I can ask them directly. So this is how, how it goes. Every two weeks, we have progress meetings. The project engineer is, uh, organizes all of us, and then he communicates that with the outside world, mostly with the client. Could be also marine warrant surveyors, could be mm-hmm. classification societies, could be anything. On top of that, we have also a project manager who is getting the whole project on a higher level. You know, see contracts, see big decisions about changing vessel, changing ports, changing whatever you want to change. We have also our safety guys. So as we call it, health safety. It's CQ, we call it. So safety, health, environment, and quality. And uh, yeah. Thank and they you. communicate. They are also involved, so we know that we do it always in a safe way. Okay, okay. Uh, you don't have a DPA or for safety as well? No, it's going DPA, to I'm not familiar with what DPA yeah, is. Okay. I, I think it's uh, in offshore, but more in uh, platforms, petrol platforms. It's taking care of the security of the employees uh, by taking okay. measures. Maybe it's a specific, a specific role that we don't know. We, we have uh, uh, somewhat <laughs> regarding safety, but within our company, we call them CQ. Sometimes they call them ADC as well. Okay. But to be honest, DPA, I haven't heard of it. Okay, well, I mean, yeah, it's it's just uh, in class we had a project on, uh, we, we talked about it, so that's why. Mm. <laughs> nice, yeah, no okay, so it's a big collaboration. Uh, I mean, a project is all about uh, working together anyway. Um, I want to ask you um, other questions. Do you have some anecdotes to share uh, in your <laughs> career? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, there are quite some about... What happens, uh, let's say, behind the scenes? Yeah. Okay. Um, but again, always as a structural engineer. So, yeah, there are, there are many things. Now, a lot of different scenarios come to my mind. The first one that comes, it was also last year, in March, I got the opportunity to go to, to Taiwan and work offshore. So, and work on the vessel during the installation of the foundations for wind turbines. And I went also twice. So there, this is something like an anecdote. You don't expect so easily from structural engineers, but it could be a nice opportunity that you get. So you could keep it in mind that we, we can give, let's say, within uh, structural engineering, this kind of opportunities as well. Okay. 
Then uh, another anecdote behind the scenes now is that there is a crazy lack of engineers within the Netherlands. Mm. There is a lot of a lot of companies are looking for. We are looking also for structural engineers as well, even for junior structural engineers. And there is a big lack of engineers within the industry in general and in the Netherlands. So this is something that is good for your uh, for your audience to know. Yeah. And yeah, if somebody has any questions regarding Boscalis, feel free to share my mail with them if they contact yeah. you, because it could be a nice opportunity. Um, and definitely I'm happy with, uh, with my current position. Then another anecdote from inside is, hmm. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have a few from the previous work, which is a little bit more, <laughs> you know, more on the, you know, kind of more elaborate analysis that you could do. But generally what we have to keep in mind is it is, a complicated work. It requires quite some academic uh, background and uh, no technical knowledge. But at the same time, it's okay if you feel if you have the imposter syndrome. It's something that all the discipline engineers have, also structural engineers. So mm. for your junior, let's say, audience, which are juniors in their work, it's totally fine if you feel that you don't know something or that what is going on around you. At the end of the day, all the companies have processes where a minimum safety is for sure ensured, so that is good. And um, and another one is about you know trying to another anecdote is try to to be up to date and be able to communicate with all your colleagues, and that is something significant that you, that you should keep up. But nice, yeah. generally, within discipline engineering, so when you do something very specific, you don't get, let's say, the spicy stuff, the juicy stuff. This happens on a different level for us. We are, let's say, the front that we're pushing the actual work forward, and all the negotiations and the agreements happen, the, um, happen on a level that, on purpose, or sometimes we only get to know them from coffee discussions. But it's difficult to share, especially um, yeah. publicly. Yeah, sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah no worries. Uh, yeah, I think uh, what you say is quite interesting. On, uh, on especially to come back what you said about the lack of uh, structural engineer, for uh, engineer uh, generally mm. in the in the maritime industry, and especially offshore. Uh, I think it's because, as you mentioned at the beginning, mm. it's quite hard to find any contents or some about it. You know, yeah. even for myself, I, I try to know more about offshore, but there is no information about it. Yeah, uh, indeed, and there are. So many also companies outside, I mean, out there <laughs> in yeah. the Netherlands only. Let's leave Boscalis and Damen on the side for now. But you have also Deme, which are one of our competitors. Uh, you have um, Van Nord, of course. You have Blue Water. You have Hausmanns. You have uh, engineer, fully engineering companies like TWD and Vaug. You mm. have Mammut and Jumbo. You, yeah, there are there's all C's, of course, Herema. It's like, yeah, probably I forget also uh, other big ones as well. But yeah, you can even choose what it fits you the best. For example, we have mm. mostly operated, um, let's say, concentrated towards operations like Boscalis. We have fully engineering companies who just do calculations. So sometimes we outsource work to them, like the WD and VAUG or Navis, for example. They, you have companies which are, you know, uh, having engineers and you just rent them out so you get different experience from different companies. Okay. It mm. can happen, uh, you know, you can have every, anything. Yeah, there are so many, so many jobs around there that can fit also to your specific needs and the prospects that you have. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, thank you for for to share this information. Mm -hmm. uh, I think this is. Uh, I don't have more questions to ask you because you mm -hmm. answer to everything. But if you want to add something, uh, you can do it. No, it's not that I have something specific to add. I just want to to have your opinion, let's say, yeah. about your your experience up to now with the podcast, with your guests with uh, the expectations because I was checking your, your channel and so I was happy to see, you know, the progress and all the people that you have. Yeah, thank you. But I didn't see, you know, talking so much about uh, about your podcast and the thing that you're doing, how you started about it. How, yeah, it's a great question. Yeah. You're the first guest to ask this question. <laughs> huh, <okay>. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, it's quite interesting. Um, I mean, when I started, it was in a, like one year ago. 
uh, of course, my goal it was to give this visibility to the industry. You know, the maritime industry we have so many different jobs, so many different roles. And I mean, it's englobed everything, commercial, technical, uh, career at sea, everything. So I was so passionate about it, but I wanted to, you know, to make something with it, to share it. And the podcast was the best way to do it. I mean, to talk with people working in this field. And what I like about the podcast is the diversity of profile I have. And I mean, everyone can find, uh, find, uh, identify to something in my podcast, you know? So that's the thing. So at the beginning, it was not easy because, you know, um, when you start something, it's always not, uh, you do, do not doing in a good way. I mean, in terms of setup, uh, like uh, how to podcast in a good way, asking the good questions. Um, but then I, I gained some experience. I'm still young, uh, junior in podcasting uh, only one year. Uh, but yeah, I think my goal is this. Even if I get a job after, because this is my goal after to work in the maritime industry, I want to con maybe to slow down a little bit, but continue with this podcast stuff, making interviews with people. So, yes. Yeah, and that's a, definitely a good idea. I mean, keep in mind that when you start looking for jobs to use that and then say that you're doing the podcast, not only yeah. for your network and the broader experience that you get from talking with people within certain industries, let's say talking with experts, but also because it shows some proactiveness. You know, okay. but you like mm. this one and then you are proactive and then you are doing it. It's kind of cool. And yeah, it is. Definitely thumbs up for the, thank you, for yeah. the initiative. Thank you, and it's it's yeah, very good. Thanks. I oh. hope that you still enjoy it because it takes time also, I can imagine. Wow. Uh, sometimes I don't know. I manage everything with school uh, <laughs> work and stuff, but I, I can do it. So, yeah. <laughs> nice. Cool. So cool thank cool. you, Athanasios. Thank you a lot. Um, thank you too. The audience has any questions, they can directly uh, contact you on LinkedIn, I imagine. Correct, correct. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the best one, I think, is LinkedIn. Yeah, perfect. So, and especially the students uh, in Delft. Because, students, yeah. yeah, I studied in Delft as well, so I, yeah. I know quite a few things from there. And at the same time, if they have questions even for Boscalis, because we have many open positions, they can go through me and then I can explain how we work, what we do. Uh, or generally, other questions within the industry, within my for my shipbuilding background, whatever they want. So feel free to share my details. Great. Great. Thank you, Athanasios, and have a very nice day. Thank you very much as well. Enjoy your Thank day you. as well. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Take care. Thank you for listening and watching this episode. We are looking forward to bring you more insights from maritime professionals, experts, and students. Do not hesitate to follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. Your support means a lot to us and helps us to bring you more content.